this next segment that we're going to take a look at, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, the Seeds of Compassion event that took place a couple of weeks ago in Seattle. This was an event put on by the Dalai Lama. He's a, the head of Lama Buddhism from Tibet. Well, actually, he's not in Tibet right now because Tibet is uh, not allowed to have him there. I think he's operating out of India right now. But he's he's a spiritual leader of uh, much of Buddhism and is considered to be uh, an, an ascended master of spiritual being, a deity of sorts, if you would. And uh, he held a, an event in Seattle that went on for four or five days called Seeds of Compassion. And on the last day of the conference, they uh, they had an interspiritual event where on the stage, people from 17 different religions across the world you know, shared the stage to teach children how to be compassionate and uh, to teach them the importance of altruism and compassion and love in the world. And... Um, among the people on the stage was uh, Mr. Rob Bell himself. Rob Bell is an emergent church leader. Supposedly, he was representing Christianity. He's the pastor of Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And the question is, should he have been there in the first place? What it, Was it appropriate for anybody who confesses Christ to be on the stage with a bunch of people from, a, you know, from different religions proclaiming compassion, was this something that was appropriate? Did this honor Jesus Christ? Is this something that Christians should be doing? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at uh, the things that Rob Bell says. But before we do that, I actually want to give you a flavor of the conference itself. Um, Because when you get the flavor of the conference, you'll get an idea as to whether or not uh, Rob Bell brought Jesus Christ to this event represented Jesus Christ, or if his uh, his actions really fit more with what we saw and, and just read from the National Post in Canada about Christianity without Christ, you'll have to decide for yourself. You need to listen. So what we're going to do now is this next segment is called Seeds of Compassion or Seeds of Deception. And uh, this first soundbite is, is from early on in this uh, in the interspiritual event, the on um, interspiritual day, and uh, it's from a guy by the name of Robert Taylor. He is Father Robert Taylor. He is a Catholic priest, and in this segment, you're going to be hearing what he thinks about this interspiritual event and what he thinks God thinks about it. And uh, we're going to compare what he says to the Word of God, uh, to the Scriptures. And we're going to, uh, you know, take a look. So what, what what this is doing here, it doesn't really set this up for you. He's he's going to be presenting the Dalai Lama with a, a prayer wheel. We, that's not actually part of the quote, but so that you know what he's saying. And uh, let's take a listen to uh, what Father Robert Taylor had to say. Earlier this morning, as we began this fifth and final day of the Seeds of Compassion event, Some of us gathered for a prayer breakfast, and there were over 17 different spiritual and faith traditions present at that breakfast this morning. Okay, 17 different faith traditions, read into that world religions, got together. Rob Bell was part of that prayer breakfast, and uh, prayer occurred, you know, at this prayer breakfast, 
Um, Rob Bell apparently praying with the Dalai Lama and uh, with with Muslims and Sikhs and Catholics and everything. Okay, let's see what. Let's continue on. And I suspect that there are an even greater number represented here today. And because God invites us as spiritual people to be a force for goodness, for love, for mercy, and for compassion, we can only imagine that God is smiling right now, perhaps even winking at you and at us. <laughs> okay. So he's saying that we can only imagine that God is probably smiling and winking from heaven at the fact that these people from all these different religions got together to have a prayer breakfast and have a interspiritual day teaching children about compassion. Wow. Um, the operative word there is imagine. It's in Father... Robert Taylor's imagination, because this is not what the scriptures teach. Now, let me remind you all what one of the Ten Commandments was. Are you ready? It's Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. It says this, You shall have no other gods before me. None. No other gods. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, spend some time in the text you will find that God does not accept worship of other deities as worship to him. He calls them idols. He mocks people who worship the work of their own hands. And he doesn't accept it. In fact, he punishes them for following other gods. So um, I would argue, based upon Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, that a gathering of interspirituality and a gathering of all of the different religions of the world um, would not make God happy whatsoever. Um, unless, of course, it was to proclaim and exalt the one true God and call people to repentance and call them to abandon their idols and call them to abandon their false religions and trust the one true and living God. But that's not what happened at this event. Um, so, but uh, Father Robert Taylor says that he imagines that God was smiling and winking from heaven. Um, not the case at all. So the question is, um, right off the bat, if this is what you get a feel for here, this ooey-gooey spirituality that's going on, can a Christian participate in this? Uh, can a Christian be a part of this interspiritual type of dialogue that's going on here. Um, I'm going to put up a, a passage here that says that I would argue says no. Are you ready? Here's what it says. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness, what accord has Christ with Belial, or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? 
For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us very clearly and very plainly that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, many people use this passage in reference to marriage, that we should, we as Christians shouldn't marry unbelievers. And it's true, but it's far more than just that. I mean, at this event, um, there's, there's a generic spirituality and a false religion that's being taught. And I'm going to give you a flavor for it here in this next soundbite. This next soundbite is actually the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama in this soundbite is going to be saying that he believes that all religions teach the same thing regarding humanity. And uh, let's listen very carefully here. This is the Dalai Lama speaking about what he thinks about uh, the teachings of all religions. Are you ready? Here we go. I think it seems as if all religions, different sort of names, due to different philosophy, but ultimately, ultimately, uh, everyone in deep insight, some kind of goodness. I think that's important is to realize and useful in many cases. Okay, so there we have the Dalai Lama at this interspiritual event. On the stage next to him, just a couple people over, is Rob Bell. And the Dalai Lama said that he believes that all religions teach that there's something good within uh, human beings. Now, this is not what Scripture teaches. In fact, the Scriptures make it clear that we are by nature sinful and fallen human beings that we are not good, but that we are born in rebellion to God, and that that rebellion um, is what Christ came to die for. And so, um, you know, there's uh, something seriously going wrong here, and uh, this is not what uh, the Scriptures call us to. In fact, Scriptures call us to be separate. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do you think Rob Bell, at this event that was teaching a generic spirituality that all the religions were the same and that God was smiling from heaven down on what these people were doing, despite the fact they worshipped other gods and followed different religions, was actually true Christianity? Welcome back to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. We're talking about the role of uh, Christians in interspiritual events. Is it okay for us to be participating in these types of things, especially if we're not bringing Christ? Mm, what communion does light have with darkness? Well, we're going to find out. All right, let's get back to what we were discussing uh, we are discussing seeds of compassion or seeds of deception, and this is uh, 
what is the Christian's role in this inter-spiritual, inter-faith type of things? And uh, we've already gone over what Paul writes for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 18, beginning with, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And so we're going through uh, some quotes here from the Seeds of Compassion event from a couple of weeks ago in Seattle, which Rob Bell, very popular Christian uh, superstar nowadays, him and his NUMA videos, uh, participated in, and uh, we're I'm, at, before we talk about what Rob Bell says and compares it and compare it to the scriptures, what we're doing is testing to see uh, what's going on at this event, what religion is being promoted, and so far we've uh, heard the Dalai the Dalai Lama uh, say that all religions teach the same thing regarding the goodness of man and. Actually, the scriptures do not teach that man is good. The scriptures teach that we are fallen and sinful creatures. And uh, especially when it comes to God, we cannot please him and do not please him. But uh, we're going to pick up where this left off, and we're going to get to a real interesting question and a couple of answers uh, regarding how does uh, how do you handle these inner spiritual events without losing the, the distinctives of your religion? So uh, you're going to hear this question, and here we go. How can an interfaith dialogue bring compassion without the fear of losing one's own religious identity? <laughs> so this is a really kind of a raw question. Otieno asks, how can interfaith dialogue nourish compassion without the fear of one losing one's religious identity? Now, before I go any farther, this kid asked the right question. Uh, you know, wait a second. You know, this interfaith dialogue seems to be kind of squishing things up. How do we, how do we handle this without losing our own religion? Well, let's let's uh, hear what uh, a Muslim woman had to say on this. So, um, Dr. Matson, would you step into that question, please? Well. Um... I'd like to just re refer to a verse of the Qur'an that addresses this question in particular. Um, the Qur'an says God created religious pluralism for a reason. It would have been in his power, complete power, to make us one faith community. But he chose to create us in these communities so that we could strive as in a race towards goodness. So interfaith engagement and dialogue is like the Olympics of the spirit. <laughs> we all, when we strive, looking at the other person in a spirit of, of holy envy, of wanting to be better in that way, I want to have the forgiveness of Archbishop Tutu. I want my community to embrace that. I want my community to have the patience and the compassion of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. This is what will make each of us better without losing anything. Mm -hmm. So this is the true Olympics here today. Thank you. Okay. Well, um, God created religious pluralism, according to this woman, so that we would strive towards goodness. Um, okay. That's not what Scripture teaches. In fact, not even close. And this is an, another example of the type of of falsehood that's being promoted at the Seeds of Compassion event. We haven't even gotten to Rob Bell's comments. In fact, we're probably not going to get to them on, in, this, in this broadcast. We're going to have to pick them up in the next one. And already, you know, we're just laying the foundation. This is the spirituality that is being taught here. 
And the reality, the spirituality that is being taught is this understanding that somehow all of these religions have something good to contribute to uh, to mankind and, and, and to the concept of goodness and spirituality. In a sense, it's they're teaching that all religions are pretty much the same, uh, despite all their differences. Now, um, in case you're not aware, the Bible actually has several interspiritual events that are recorded in it. And uh, one of those interspiritual events was uh, a meeting between uh, Elijah, who represented Yahweh of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who claims to be the one true God. And uh, the God, the, those uh, 450 prophets of Baal, who was uh, one of the fertility gods of Canaan, and, uh, and 400 prophets of Asherah, another fertility deity. Um, and, uh, and there was a big interspiritual event that took place on Mount Carmel back when, uh, when Ahaz was the, was the king of the, of the northern kingdom of Israel. And it's recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. And let's see if, uh, the God of the Old Testament, uh, it, tolerates uh, religious plurality, uh, religious, uh, all these different competing religions, and see how well he tolerates them. So we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 17. And uh, we pick up when King Ahab, I'm sorry, it's King Ahab, uh, meets Elijah on, uh, on Mount Carmel. And Elijah and Ahab says to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? So right off the bat, uh, Ahab considers Elijah to be the troubler of Israel uh, because he worships and serves the one true God. And Elijah answers, says, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets, 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So we here we've got this big interspiritual event on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and he said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord, if Yahweh is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So then Elijah took and said to the people, I, even I, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. And let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire on it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire on it. And you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So already, this is interesting. What we have here, what's funny is the emergence would consider this to be some kind of a modern idea that there's only one God. Um, no, this goes all the way back. This is a true propositional statement that there is only one God. And, Eli and Elijah is acting as if one is actually true and the other one is actually false. He's acting as if 
the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob is the one true God, and there does not exist another God. And so the peop- he puts out this test. We're going to empirically test this claim out. And the God who answers by fire, that is the one true God. And the people said this, this is well spoken. So then Elijah, this is verse 25, said to the prophets of Baal, Choose yourselves one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire on it. And then they took the bowl that was given to them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or maybe he's relieving himself. Yes, you heard that right. Elijah actually mocked them and said that maybe their god was using the restroom. Or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the obulation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Could it be because they were following a false god? Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took the twelve stones according to the numbers of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And then the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the obulation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, the Lord, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook uh, of Kishon and slaughtered them there. So here we have, in this passage, in 1 Kings, 
an interspiritual event. And rather than accepting religious pluralism, rather than saying, you know, the prophets of Baal and the Shira, they all, you know, they all worship me just under different names. That's not what the Lord said. He said that they worshiped false gods. And as a result, he punished them and their punishment on that day was their death. It's highly politically incorrect to be speaking this way nowadays. Yet, this is what the scriptures teach. The scriptures do not teach religious pluralism. They teach the one true Christian faith in the one true God. And worshiping another, God doesn't accept it as worship to him. So, um... Let me uh, now give to you the Dalai Lama's answer. This one is a little long, so bear with it, um, you know, so that you you get a feel for what was occurring here on this interspiritual day. And what you're going to be listening for, because it's a little difficult to hear, it's about two minutes long, two minutes and 30 seconds long uh, quote from the Dalai Lama. And, he, you know, this is answering that same question, how do you... You know, you know, how do you, you know, have these interspiritual things without losing your own religion, so to speak? And the Dalai Lama will actually say in this, and you're going to hear it, that um, all religions, even though they seem contradictory, have the same essence and the same result. Therefore, they're all true. So let's go to the Dalai Lama's answer regarding this. Therefore, Buddha deliberately create different philosophy according suitability of certain mandate. Okay, he's saying that the Buddha created different conflicting or contradictory philosophies. Um, but that, don't worry about that. That's all good. Certain dispositions. Now, this what we learned. When we look Buddha's sort of different sort of contradictory philosophy, we admire Buddha. It it's helpful to increase admiration of Buddha, so compassionate. Okay, he's saying that the Buddha created all these different philosophies in order to create um, uh, admiration for Buddha's wisdom and compassion. Now, notice something here also, that the Dalai Lama has no problem whatsoever mentioning the Buddha. Um. When we get to uh, Rob Bell in the next uh, in the next hour, which will be broadcast the following day, it will be broadcast tomorrow. Um, we'll, we'll see if uh, Rob Bell mentions the name of Christ. Here we have the Dalai Lama mentioning the Buddha, but uh, Rob Bell um, he doesn't mention Christ. But uh, I digress. So here here he's saying that uh, the Buddha created all these different contradictory philosophies and religions. But he did so to uh, bring wisdom, you know, to you know, show how compassionate and wise he was. Let's continue with the Dalai Lama. So, sort of as a wise, not imposing sort of his sort of one philosophy. Okay, he says the Buddha is not doesn't is not interested in imposing one philosophy. Imposing that's an important word. Apparently, the God of Israel is interested in imposing worship of the one true God because all the other gods are false. But uh, the Buddha is wise, and uh, he doesn't want to impose one one way of thinking. So says the Dalai Lama. But there's a different philosophy. So similarly, uh, when we saw it was in different traditions. Uh, 
in the philosophical field, uh, yes, diff big differences, fundamental differences. Doesn't matter. What is the, the, the real essence of the teaching? Okay, he says it doesn't matter that all these uh, religions and philosophies are contradictory. He says, what is their essence? He said, and he's going to make the case that all of their essence is the same. Same. Okay, got to back that up. Hang on a second here, just so you can hear it in context. Here we go. Doesn't matter. What is the, the, the real essence of the teaching? The same. Uh, effect, according to different people, the same effect. Therefore, uh, So, I mean, this is sufficient reason to respect, to appreciate. That's usually my, my thinking. So more variety of tradition, the better to satisfy variety of people. Do you agree? Okay. So what he's basically arguing here in this quote, okay, is that... All the religions, all the philosophies, even though they appear contradictory, that the reason why there's all these different contradictory or seemingly contradictory uh, religions is to make it so we can know how wise and compassionate the Buddha is, but also because there's millions of different flavors and tastes and, and people like variety. So all of the variety of all of these religions, is, it doesn't matter if they seem contradictory, that they all have the same essence and the same result is compassion. Therefore, they're all the same. So therefore, we are all, regardless of all of these different blends that we see up here, we all are worshiping pretty much the same thing. That's what the, the Dalai Lama said at the Seeds of Compassion event, and you heard it for yourself. And remember, Rob Bell was just a few people over from the Dalai Lama. So by his appearance uh, on the stage, already Rob Bell is making it appear like he is um, in agreement with what the Dalai Lama is saying and what the Dalai Lama was teaching and what these other people were saying, that all of these, all of our religions, even though we're different and we have different faith traditions and come from different communities, that we all have pretty much the same essence and we have the same results, and that is, is that we're you know the result of altruism and love, and therefore the differences don't matter because the differences were designed to to go with the different uh, varieties and tastes of humans and that ultimately there when you boil it all down it's all the same now personally i would not have appeared at an event like this now if they had gagged me and tied me and hogtied me and make me go and were unfortunate enough to actually give me the microphone I would have made it clear that that is not what scriptures teach and that the God of the Bible does not accept worship from people who follow other religions and false gods. Now, let me make my case again. Since we've you know, we got an Old Testament example here that I gave, let me give you another example of an interspiritual event that took place in the Bible. And this time, the example is actually taken from Acts chapter 17 from the New Testament. And uh, we read about this uh, when Paul visits Athens. Now, what's funny is that this particular passage is uh, is where Rob Bell takes the name of his church from, Mars Hill Bible Church. And there's all kinds of people in the contemporary Christianity who are saying 
that this is an example of Paul using relevant language to reach out with the gospel. Well, okay, but uh, notice that this wasn't in a church, but that's a different story. So let me read about this interspiritual event and see if what Paul did comports is compatible with what the Dalai Lama said. And here's what the Dalai, and here's what Paul says, or what says about Paul in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. All right. So Paul saw that there were idols everywhere and he was provoked in his spirit because of it. So he went out into the marketplace proclaiming Christ. Now, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. So you want to know what Paul was doing? He was provoked by their idols. He goes into the marketplace and he was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. Not exactly relevant stuff to be preaching. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except for telling and hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I now proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed God's offspring." Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Now notice there in Acts chapter 17 verse 29, even though Paul finds some common ground by talking about uh, nature and the creation and even quoting their own poets, he then turns on them and is attacking outright, polemically attacking their ideas of God and their idols. And he does this in a way that is not going to make somebody who's politically correct happy at all. And let me let me back up and read this and you'll see what I'm talking about. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of, of man. The times of ignorance 
God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Wow. He called, he, he attacks their concept of gods. He attacks their idols, calls it a time of ignorance, and he even says that they need to repent. Whoa. What was Paul thinking? I thought that this was a, a passage about being uh, seeker sensitive. It's anything but, really, um, because he calls them to repentance. That's one of the things that's missing in today's church. And this was what was missing in Rob Bell's speech, by the way. So uh, he calls everywhere people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance of all of this by raising this man, him, from the dead. Wow, sounds like um, the kind of thing that would get that uh, Reverend Vospers all upset. This has definitely got to go. I mean, here we've got this exclusive claim about an exclusive religion and claiming that we have to repent and and that God's going to come and judge the world by a man. This is the kind of stuff that just drives the liberals crazy. And there it is. Now, what was the reaction of the people who heard this? Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went from their midst, but some men joined and believed. Among them were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Interesting stuff, is it not? I mean, rather than having seeds of compassion... Paul was preaching seeds of exclusivity and chose to know among them Jesus Christ and him crucified only. Because that's what the Christian faith is all about. It's about Christ crucified for sinners. It's not a religion that tolerates um, falsehood. No, Christianity is an exclusive claim. There is no other name under heaven given by which men can be saved. It's Jesus Christ and Him alone. We have no business engaging in interspiritual conferences or events unless we're bringing Christ and calling men to repentance and faith, that their sins may be forgiven and that they may have eternal life. And we're going to look at part two of Seeds of Compassion or Seeds of Deception. Now, in part one of this discussion, we've already shown that the Seeds of Compassion Interspiritual Day promoted the idea that all religions, despite their seeming differences, are all basically the same or share the same essence. And this is an event that Rob Bell, famous Rob Bell of the NUMA videos, uh, famous Rob Bell of Mars Hill's Mars Hill Bible Church, he attended this event. And uh, yesterday, you, if, you ha if you didn't hear segment one, you need to go back and listen to it because I played uh, quotes from different people on the panel, um, uh, that, including the Dalai Lama, who basically made the point that all religions are pretty much the same. So uh, at this event, at the Interspiritual Day, uh, this took place on April 15, 2008, and it was actually billed as a youth and spiritual connection session. Um, so this was dis specifically designed to teach young people, the youth, how to spiritually connect. And the participants included His Holiness, <coughs> I don't say that, you know, uh, because I believe it, 
Um, that's his title. The the Dalai Lama, who is a Buddhist monk, Archbishop Archbishop Desmond Tutu was there, who was uh, the Archbishop of uh, the Episcopal Church in South Africa. Um, Ingrid Matson was there, Dr. Ingrid Matson of the President of the Islamic Society of North America. Rabbi David Rosen, who was uh, Chairman of the International Jewish Committee on Interreligious Consultations. Rashi Joan Halifax, she was the moderator. She's a Zen Buddhist master and abbess of the Upaya Zen Center. Uh, you get a feel, you, you get, you're starting to get the feel here. There was a Sikh, a Muslim scholar, a Sikh philosopher, a Hindu philosopher, philosopher, a Benedictine Catholic nun was at this event. And uh, yesterday we played some of the sound bites from these people. And here's the deal. Is it really, the question is, is it really right for a Christian to be participating in an interspiritual event such as this? And I'm making the case that unless you're bringing Christ and the message of the exclusive one true God with you, then you really shouldn't be doing this because otherwise you're sending the message to the people there that you agree with them that all religions are pretty much the same. So um, we've also shown from the scripture that the one true God commands us to have no other gods besides him. And we documented, I documented uh, two different interspiritual events from the scriptures. The first was the showdown between Elijah and the prophets of Baal and Asherah on Mount Carmel. And the other was Paul's meeting at the Areopagus on Mars Hill. And uh, in both cases, we showed how these interspiritual events took, uh, really kind of panned out. And I want to remind you of uh, some other passages of scripture that talk about the fact that God does not accept worship uh, to other gods as worship to him. Isaiah 43, uh, uh, verse, verses 10 and 11 says this, uh, Yahweh speaking here. He says, You are my witnesses, declares Yahweh the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Another exclusive passage is Isaiah 44, starting at verse 6. It says this, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and beside me there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from my old, from old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. So it's really clear there, again, that there is only one God. And he doesn't know any other God, and he doesn't accept worship to these idols as worship to him. Isaiah 44, verse 9 says this, All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a God or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only human let them all assemble, let them stand forth. They shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame together. Isaiah 45, 5 says this, I am the Lord, and there is no other. 
Beside me there is no God. So the scriptures strictly make it clear that we are to have no other gods except for the one true God, and that all who fashion idols, they are they profit for nothing. Now, here's the deal. We Americans have uh, figured out a very, very unique way of creating our idols. We don't create them out of gold and marble or silver or little statues or whatever and then bow to them. Instead, our idols are intellectual ideas that we have about what we think God is like. And we say, I believe in a God that does such and such, or my God would never do so and so, or my God would never do that. The problem is, is that that's your idol. That's your God. In That's a small g God. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is very clear as to what he expects and what he demands of us. And he calls us to worship him and him only, not our idols whether they be made of gold or just a figment of our imagination. And remember, Paul, you know, on Mars Hill at the Areopagus, had this same exact way of approaching it. And he was incensed and provoked in his spirit because of the idols. Again, read Acts chapter 17, verse 16. It says this, Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons in the marketplace every day that those who happened to be there and some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who also conversed with him, some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So make it very clear here that Paul on Mars Hill with these people who were following after other religions and idols that he was provoked in his spirit, and that provoked him to do something very important, and that was preach Jesus Christ, him crucified, and to preach the resurrection. As a result of it, they wanted to know more about it. It wasn't anything they'd heard before. And then it continues in Acts uh, 17, verse 29, being then God's offspring, Paul talking to the Areopagus, he says, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art of the imagination of man. There's that word imagination. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So Paul calls people to repentance, repent of their idolatry, repent of their religious imaginations, and trust in the one true God. And he proved that Jesus was God because he raised himself from the dead. And notice he calls them to repentance. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ calls the church to do. You know, many people know the great, uh, the great commission, you know, in, in uh, Matthew 28. But there's a great commission in Luke, um, in Luke chapter 24. And uh, we need to be reminded of that, of that particular um, great commission. It says this, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So even Jesus Christ himself 
in sending out the disciples in the Great Commission in, in Luke 24, says to go and preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. Welcome back to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. Email us at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. All right, we're back, and we're talking about Rob Bell's appearance at the Seeds of Compassion event, and we're asking the question, is this Seeds of Compassion or Seeds of Deception? Now we're going to get into the heart of what uh, Rob Bell said at this event, and I think it's important that we all hear these things. So, Let's uh, let's set this one up. This is Rashi Joan Halifax asking Rob Bell, actually all of the panelists, about uh, what in their childhood led them to experience compassion and want to uh, follow after it. And so uh, we'll hear the question from Rashi Joan Halifax, who is a Zen Buddhist master and uh, abbess n- uh, nun, and we'll uh, we'll hear Rob Bell's answer to this question. Here we go. So I would like to ask each panelist, going to essence, beginning with you, Uriah. Hey, Uriah. And then I'm going to introduce the panelists, because let's know them not through their visible identities in terms of their publications or I'm a so-and-so, but I'd like them to speak. What was it, Uriah, and for those of us who are no longer Uriah's age, what was it that has broken open in our childhood, in our youth, that turned our hearts toward compassion? Do I call you Father Rob, Rob Brother Rob? Rob what? Rob is fine. Okay. <laughs> we won't say his last name yet. Rob. Uh, growing up, my father's... Uh, stepfather was very cruel to him and in my younger years I remember we would go visit my grandfather and my father would do all these jobs around the house for him and would treat him with such kindness and he was cruel to the very end and he would say unkind and harsh things and I remember one time challenging my dad why are you so kind and compassionate and forgiving over and over why do you keep going back to his house and doing these good deeds for him when you know he's going to say those hurtful things and and my father said i will love him and forgive him to the end it's the only way and and at a young age it 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 showed me this is a better way thank you rob so much okay quote number one uh Forgiveness and compassion is a better way. When I hear comments like this, I say it's Christian-ish. I mean, it sounds Christian-like, but this isn't really Christianity. Um, Forgiveness is a better way is not the message of the Christian faith. It's not the message of the New Testament either. Um, You've got to understand that we believe in an incarnate form of forgiveness, and that incarnate form is Jesus Christ himself. He hasn't called us to just turn the other cheek for turning the other cheek's sake or to forgive for forgiveness' sake, but instead our sins are forgiven. So we are called to forgive because we have been forgiven. 
as it says in scriptures, we love because Christ first loved us. And so um, already Rob Bell in this first answer hasn't mentioned Jesus Christ. And that's the big thing, the the distinction of uh, the Christian faith. What is it that makes Christianity different and unique than all the other religions? And that is, it's not that we believe that there's a such thing as sin or that we want people to be better or anything like that. All the religions believe in sins and doing better and doing good and and uh, serving neighbor. And, you know, what you find is, is as uh, the book of Romans says, the law is written on the, on the hearts of men. And, so, and it's not the law that saves us. In fact, it's the thing that makes Christianity unique, the thing that makes Christianity distinct and different is the message of the forgiveness of sins, completely free forgiveness of sins that was won for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. And so when uh, Christ tells us to go out and make disciples and tells us to go out and preach repentance and the forgiveness of sins, this is a unique message. This is something different. And um, let me bring another passage into this here. Uh, It's the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 1 through 3. It says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Christ, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So God wills that we know him and Jesus Christ whom the Father has sent, and that's what eternal life is. So um, there is no salvation outside of the one true God. So all of these people here, all of the kids who attended this event, so far what we've heard from Rob Bell isn't about Jesus Christ, isn't about the one true God, isn't about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. It's just forgiveness and compassion and ooey-gooey kind of spirituality and as we pointed out yesterday on you know during this panel discussion we also saw people saying that pretty much all the religions are the same and rob bell hasn't done anything yet to make christianity uh, see, uh appear different whatsoever than what uh, we're hearing from uh, this general spirituality so now we're going to move on to the next quote and this is the most important one if you ask me This is the one that you need to pay real close attention to because the question that's being asked by this young man, I think he's 12 or 13 years old, has to do with how do you redeem yourself? And the redemption is a key key teaching in the Christian faith because we are redeemed by Christ. Let's listen really carefully to what uh, Rob Bell says in this video. You know, in America, we grade people uh, for their work. Uh, You've done a very excellent job this week in um, keeping your anger in a transforming state, uh, turning it into compassion. Okay, that opening segment, I put that in there for a reason. That's Rashi Joan Halifax speaking to the Dalai Lama about how during the Seeds of Compassion event, he kept his anger in a, quote, transforming state. Whatever that means, I i mean, turn your anger into good, you know, turn that frown and 
turn that frown upside down and it becomes a smile. I I don't know, just some some kind of a weird thing in there, but it, it it's interesting that that this is what this leads off with. Here so we go. We give you an A. And she gives him an A for being compassionate, turning his anger into compassion. And as His Holiness said, it's not always success that we meet. So um, Josh from Seattle has a question about this. When we fail. <clears throat> How can uh, you or an individual learn to not be so hard on yourself? And what I mean by that is how do you learn to redeem yourself for a mistake or something like you're doing all these compassionate acts and you have one slip up. How can you learn to overcome? Okay. Well, let's pay real close attention here. So this kid is being told he needs to be compassionate. He wants to be compassionate. He wants to make a difference in the world. He wants to be a force for good and love and kindness and, and all this kind of stuff. And, he realizes he's human, and he makes mistakes. So what do you do? How, what do you do to redeem yourself when you've, rather than be compassionate, you were instead anger? When rather than giving love, you gave hate? So, I mean, this kid is asking a, a question that every one of us can be asking because we've all experienced this. We want to do good, and then we end up doing bad. So uh, Rashi's going to rephrase the question, and it's going to be kicked off to Rob Bell. Okay, Josh, I lost the second part of your question, so maybe you can um, say it just a little slower. I know the first part is, how do you learn not to be so hard on yourself? The second part? Um, what I meant... Great. That's better. <laughs> what I meant by that was uh, that how, if you make one mistake, how do you learn to overcome that inside and... Continue being a compassionate person. Oh, okay. Thanks, Josh. I, yes. I'd love to hear your perspective. I, th I think that many people uh, are pick up along the way that life is about destination. So they're taught it's about arriving. It's about having all the answers. It's about creating a nice box that you sit in and defend. But my fundamental understanding is that life is journey. And journey is a fundamentally different way to understand life than destination. Yeah. And on a journey, all I have, am responsible for is the next step. And that's all I'm ever asked for is the next step. Huh. I don't have to have it all figured out. I don't have to defend it all. I don't have to have it all nailed down. And if you can shift from destination understanding to, and to, to journey, yep. it frees you to take life as it comes, let it be, what it is, and then do the next right thing. Okay, let me translate that for you. Okay, he, Rob Bell says that you just need to learn how to view life as journey rather than destination. And, and when you do that, you realize you're only responsible for the next step. Translation, okay, you screwed up, just do better next time. That's really what it boils down to. And... um. Imagine if you would, if Jesus Christ were asked this question, I've, how do I redeem myself when I do wrong? And Jesus says, just do better next time. You're only responsible for the next step, so make sure your next step is a better step. Is that the Christian message? Is that what Jesus Christ came to earth to do? To teach us to do better next time? To just make it better? 
No, that's not what Christianity teaches at all. This kid asked a fundamental question that literally is right in the wheelhouse, right in the strength of the Christian faith. This is exactly what Jesus Christ came to address. And rather than give this kid, Jesus Christ, dying for your sins, Rob Bell basically said, just think of life as a journey rather than a destination and just do better next time. And one of the things you, you've got to see, I'm going to put a link up to these videos at the uh, Fighting for the Faith uh, website, um, is that when Rob Bell is giving this answer, Rashi Joan Halifax is just beaming. She is grinning from ear to ear and just thrilled with this answer. Just absolutely beside herself giddy. Um, this answer that Rob Bell gave didn't bring the offense of the cross. Instead, it made a good Zen Buddhist abbess woman happy. But again, I go back to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, For I chose to know nothing among you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. The Christian answer when somebody comes to you and says, how do I redeem myself? How do I make it better when I screw up and I don't do what I want to do? I want to be compassionate and I end up being hurtful. The Christian answer is not do better next time. It is not life is a journey instead of a destination. The Christian answer is you should feel bad. You've sinned. What you did was wrong. You broke one of the commandments. And God is holy and he's just. And he expects you to do better. And because you've sinned, you deserve to be punished for that sin. And here's the good news. Jesus Christ died for even those sins. You might feel bad about yourself. You might want to try to redeem yourself by doing better next time, but even that will not save you. Even doing better next time isn't going to be enough. The only thing that it is enough is the death that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and that he, and he took care of those sins. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness and trust this good news that you are redeemed and bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's a different answer. That's an answer that would have stood out. That's an answer that would have made this interspiritual event worth attending for Rob Bell. But he didn't bring the Christian answer. Instead, he threw this kid back on his own good works. And everybody listening there heard, well, if you screw up, just try harder next time. That's what Christianity teaches. Rather than that Christ died for those sins. That's a problem. That's a big problem. All right, we're going to go to the next soundbite here. And this one, pay close attention to how Rob Bell allegorizes Jesus' death and resurrection so that it can fit neatly and inoffensively into the generic one-world spirituality that is being promoted at this event. So far, Rob Bell has got up, and he's spoken twice. All right, and he struck out. He uh, swung and missed on the first attempt. He swung and missed on the second. Let's see if he swings and misses on the third and actually gets struck out. 
So here we go. This is the third and final uh, soundbite from Rob Bell at the Seeds of Compassion event. Um, there is, in the world we live in today, we all know too well the kind of violence, destruction that a spirituality can breed, whether it's the genocide in Darfur, or it's the events that happened in, on September 11th. All right, I just got to correct this kid for a minute. Atheism kills more people in the 20th century than all religious murders combined in all of human history. Um, communism, think of the millions, the tens of millions that died at the hands of atheistic communism. So, well... Anyway, he's blaming it all on spirituality, but <clears throat> notice what's under attack here is exclusivistic religious claims that claim that there's only one true religion and people die as a result of it. All right. And I would like to know how you feel spirituality can be used as a catalyst for, not for destruction, and for pain and for hatred, but for compassion and love. Okay. So the question is, how can spirituality be used as a catalyst for love and compassion? Already there's a problem here. A Christian can't answer the question the way it's posed. Why? Because we don't claim that spirituality is the answer to anything. Our answer is Jesus Christ. But I digress. Let's move on. Okay. So um, I, I want to ask Rob, who has this huge congregation. Uh, when, when somebody wrongs you, when, when they commit an injustice, when they do evil, whether it's something petty or, or whether it's the oppression of millions of people, it's as if, it's as if they have handed you this injustice or evil and so you can hand it back that's called revenge that's when you take the wrong the evil the injustice the hurt and the betrayal and you simply respond in kind there is next to revenge another option which is not to hand back the pain which means that you're going to have to bear that pain and, and when you choose not to respond with revenge or retaliation, but you choose to respond with forgiveness, and you choose to take it and bear that pain, it, it, it is going to be heavy, but it is going to lead to your freedom. It is going to feel like a death, but it is going to lead to a resurrection. Okay, hold on a second here. Okay, so this is going to lead to our freedom. When someone gives us uh, pain, rather than giving, returning in kind we, and re give them revenge, we instead choose to forgive them. That's what's going to lead to our freedom. All right, just a simple question. Where does it say that in Scripture? Um, well, it doesn't. We continue. It's going to feel like a Friday. But a Sunday is going to come. And I think what we, what we see with Archbishop Tutu and with His Holiness is when people choose not to hand it back, but to bear it, it will always 
lead to suffering. And it will, you will unavoidably become a better person on the other side. And I think that's what we respond to is that is what changes the world. <laughs> that is what changes the world. Is Christianity about, quote, changing the world? Well, I guess you could say that it is, in a sense, about changing the world, but not in the way that is being described here. Here we have a disconnected forgiveness again. It's not connected to the cross. It's not connected to Jesus Christ. By the way, this is the last of the three times that Rob was asked questions at this event, and he did not mention Jesus Christ. He did not mention his cross the one true God. Instead, he talked about completely disconnected concepts of compassion, of love, of forgiveness, of pain, of suffering, of not returning pain and suffering and 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 becoming a better person and making a difference in the world. And everything he said sounded exactly like the generic, vanilla, non-distinct, completely idolatrous spirituality that was being promoted at this event. There were no seeds planted for the one true God, for Jesus Christ. Instead, Rob Bell just looked like one person among many who was teaching everybody there, kids, which is worse, because Scripture says it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck than to cause one of these little ones, to stumble. He taught them a false religion, did nothing to make himself distinct about Christ at all. And what he said, as wonderful as the platitudes may have sounded, as good-intentioned, as well-meaning, as all of this stuff, that it, how great it kind of sort of sounded to make the world a better place, it wasn't Christianity. It wasn't Christ. It didn't help people to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom the Father has sent at all. And that's the tragedy of it. Yeah, it's a tragedy. So, since the scriptures reveal that there is only one true God and that eternal life comes to those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ only, alone for forgiveness... The Bible has a different definition of compassion than what the Dalai Lama and Rob Bell and the people who showed up at this event had in mind. The biblical definition of compassion is proclaiming Jesus Christ as the one true God and calling people to repentance of their sins and faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That's the biblical definition of compassion. Now, the biblical definition of compassion runs counter to worldly wisdom and counter to ecumenical ideas and the ideas of this generic spirituality that we were hearing and seeing at this event. And again, if you would like to actually go back and view the webcast, we have a link up at the Fighting for the Faith website where you can go back and you can watch this entire event in context and see for yourself if 
what was being taught was a generic spirituality that taught that all religions are pretty much the same, the same essence. I showed you the quotes. I played the quotes for you yesterday on yesterday's edition of Fighting for the Faith. So here's the understanding this. Biblical compassion, the biblical definition of compassion, as I've already stated, is proclaiming Jesus Christ as the one true God and calling people to repentance and faith. Why? Because even though life may be a journey, the end of that journey is death. And that those who die without Christ, those who die without their sins being forgiven, those who die who do not trust in Christ alone for their salvation, they will spend, as the scriptures say, an eternity separated from God in hell. So compassion for our neighbors is to speak to them the truth. Now, this doesn't seem like compassion to the world and runs contrary to the the worldly ideas of compassion that are being put forth here. So, um, at, at the Seeds of Compassion event, Rob Bell didn't preach Christ, didn't preach repentance, didn't preach the forgiveness of sins won by Christ crucified on the, on the cross. He didn't proclaim the one true God. He didn't call these young people to repentance and faith. So was he really compassionate? How, can we say, according to the biblical definition of compassion, that Rob was being compassionate? He didn't mention Christ, repentance of sin, or faith. Rob Bell, answered, in fact, his answer appeared to be in perfect agreement with the other statements that the other panelists uh, made at this event. Okay? That uh, all religions, despite their seeming contradictions, all pretty much share the same essence. So if Rob Bell were truly being compassionate, according to the biblical definition of compassion, not his own, according to the biblical definition of compassion, if he were truly being compassionate with the people who watch and listen to this event, then he would have preached Christ the same way that the Apostle Paul preached Christ at the Areopagus on Mars Hill. But because Rob Bell didn't preach Christ, the people who heard this, who heard him, will more than likely not experience God's compassion when they die. Instead, they will experience God's wrath and judgment because they remain in their false religion, remain following their idols, and therefore they remain in their sins. So if we're going to be compassionate, if we're going to be loving to the world, if we're going to really, truly follow the biblical, godly definition of compassion, then we must under all circumstances, preach Christ and Him crucified for our sins so that people will experience God's love and mercy and reconciliation and compassion rather than God's judgment, wrath, and an eternity in hell. That's what's at stake. So was this seeds of compassion or seeds of deception? Personally, I think Rob Bell sowed seeds of deception, not true biblical seeds of compassion. And again, I call Rob Bell to repentance. All right, just a couple of things as we uh, finish up our program today. Um, I'm going to be speaking at Faith Defenders in Southern California at Brea Center Baptist Church on May 14th and on May 21st. I'll be speaking about uh, deconstructing emergent errors 
Yes, there are such things as emergent errors. And uh, the class begins at 7.30 each of those nights on May 14th and May 21st. And I would invite you to come out if you're going to be in the Southern California area. If you live out here in Southern California, I would love to meet you. Again, the class is uh, uh, sponsored by Faith Defenders, and it's at Brea Center Baptist Church on May 14th and 21st. And I'll be deconstructing emergent errors. Again, now, if you want to uh, talk back and uh, speak to us, leave a comment or a question, email us at talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Gosh, that was loud. Talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Well, we're at the end of our program. Uh, Thank you for listening. And what we would ask is that you would uh, tell other people about this uh, program. Spread the word. Till next time, God bless.